Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're hitting it. We're hitting it running. All through the Bible, we see directions in times where the Lord says, remember. Remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this. Like these things on this slide. The Lord brought them out of Egypt, all these sorts of things. Remember, 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 remember. And then, you know, we carry this on today as a society. We carry things on. We've got Arbor Day. We remember Arbor Day. We remember Veterans Day. We remember the Alamo. Right? We remember things. It's good for us to do. It's good to remember all kinds of things. And I... You know, there is, a, there is a holiday happening right now, and I, I know it's probably not on most of your radar, but it's a great remembering of things. And that's Hanukkah. We have our lonely, our lonely menorah representative here. So I know some of you know about Hanukkah, and I'm going to share just a little bit about Hanukkah. But this message, well, we'll make a little bit of a shift as it goes on. Hanukkah is a funny time of year. It is a good thing to remember you know, there are some days, like Arbor Day, that not everybody, as Americans, we don't all understand the origin. And I think Hanukkah might be one of those types of days where most Americans have no idea what's really happening in Hanukkah. So, let me tell you, okay? First of all, Hanukkah is something that it commemorates uh, an event that took place about 165 B.C., and it took place between the Old Testament and the New Covenant. So it's not really captured in Scripture. Not in that way. What's fascinating about it is many, many scholars think that it's prophesied about, that the coming events leading up to Hanukkah would take place, and that Daniel did it in chapters 8 and chapter 11. It's not a random, it's not a small event. It's a, it's a big event, had broad and, and significant implications. Hanukkah is practiced differently all over the world. There's, you know, first, nobody knows how to spell it. Is it C-H or is it H? Right? Is it Chanukah or is it Hanukkah? And it's uh, decorations in America are more, uh, it's more festive in America than it is in other parts of the world. Um, some parts of the world, like in Israel, for example, it's a very subtle, it's a very, uh, just a quiet kind of holiday. It's a, in essence, it's a happy time because it, it was about preserving a people. It's a good thing. So there's a lot of liberty in what we do. Uh, I was talking to some folks, uh, and we were talking about wreaths, and somebody said, you know, you have wreaths in the room here. That's very Christmassy. And actually, wreaths are mentioned in Jewish tradition going back to about 250 A.D. So wreaths have been something. So even the decorations that people do for different events, that Jews do for different events, it's, there's this wide-ranging uh, latitude in what people can or cannot do for Hanukkah. And it's... It's interesting. Here's what happened. Here's why it's a story. Way back in a hundred and, well, you know Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great had conquered the area that we know is, is Israel today and Jerusalem. That was, as a Greek leader, he had gone and conquered this land. And he had a, by and large, he was fairly neutral. He didn't really try to crush the Jews that were there. He was pretty neutral. And then other subsequent leaders, after he died, other subsequent leaders came in place. And there was an Antiochus the Great. He was Antiochus III. And he was all right. He was not a horrible leader to the Jews as a Greek leader. He was fairly neutral, fairly uh, let them serve God in, in their way, let them do the things at the temple they wanted to do. But then his son took over, Antiochus. Um, I want to make sure I say his name right because it's a, 
It's a name that really describes him quite a bit. Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, named himself Epiphanes, which means God manifest. So when he gave himself that name, he said, I am God manifest. So, oh, here's, this is where the action really starts. And he had a real problem with the Jews in Jerusalem serving God in that way. And he made it illegal for them to do so. Illegal. And he tried to shut down their temple. He put a pig in there and he sacrificed the pig and defiled the temple. And he did all kinds of things. And Jews who would try to serve God, of course, were massacred. I can't, I can't overstate the value of the temple. We know if we don't make it to church, we're going to be all right. But then, at that time, what the Lord said, certain duties had to be done at the temple. So to not have the temple was a prohibitive, prohibitive problem for them in their faith. It was a big problem. They didn't have a place to go. So when Antiochus IV said, you can't go to the temple, this was a big, big deal. All of a sudden, the things that they would do to serve God, they weren't allowed to do. They didn't have backup options. There wasn't another temple in the other corner for them to go to. That was the one. So he, he did this. Uh, there was an uprising. Um, Matthias, or Matis Yahoo specifically, that's the Hebrew name, Matis Yahoo Maccabee started, Matias the Maccabee started um, a revolt. He lasted for about a year. His son came and took over Judah. And ultimately, they were able to get back into the temple and rededicate it. There's some controversy. They said, you know, they found a jar of non-defiled oil, and they were going to light the menorah to, to light the temple, and they were going to light it in this non-defiled oil. oil. And, and this is where the story starts to get a little twisty. Some people say it lasted for eight nights. Um, nobody knows for sure. Nobody knows for sure if, if, if this one jar lasted for eight nights, which was a miracle, or if they used eight nights to remember the rededication of the temple the same way that Solomon had dedicated the temple. It doesn't really matter. Point is, they got the temple back and they were able to serve God. Imagine if you were not able to serve God all the way. No matter what you did, if you could not do it, and that's what the loss of the temple represented. They could not serve God all the way. That's a heavy loss. Can you see it? So to not have that temple is a big deal. To get it back is a major celebration because all the people can go back and do this. Now I want to switch gears for a minute. I want to make sure that we're hearing the same thing in this message. This is very important. Years ago, about, I believe, three or four years ago, Christianity Today published an article of a, an experiment that was done with some Americans and then later some Russians. They took 100 Americans and they decided to tell the 100 Americans the story of the prodigal son. It's an interesting story or an interesting experiment. So in this story of the prodigal son, <clears throat> 100 Americans, they got to read it. And we know the story. Many of us are familiar with this story. This young, this young man went to his father and said, I want my inheritance now. And his father said, okay, here you go. So the young man took his inheritance. He went into the city and he spent it all. He spent it all. And ultimately he had no money. And there was a famine in the land. And he was uh, eating with the pigs ate, which is not good for a Jew. And he was eating with the pigs ate. And he was sleeping and in terrible conditions. And he decided to go home and to ask his father if he could work as a servant there because he knew his father took care of servants. He goes home and he asks his father, and his father said, no, you're my son, you're not a servant, you come, I'll take care of you. It was a happy ending. So they told that story, they had the, they had the Americans read the story, they had the Russians read the story. A hundred Americans read the story, and they were asked to retell the story of the 100, six of them, six of 100, remember the part about the famine. Six. 
Now, when the Russians went through this story, only 50 of them uh, knew, read the story in this experiment. And of the 50, 42 of them remembered the famine. Same story. Same story. Six Americans out of 100, and of 50 Russians, 42 remembered. And how they, how they saw the story was very different. Russia had gone through different famines, and famine means something different in Russia than it did in America. In America, we don't suffer through a lot of famines in that way. So this morning, when we think of Hanukkah, I want to make sure we hear the same message. And that is, Hanukkah isn't a battle of a physical survival. Hanukkah commemorates a survival of non-assimilation. They were forced, those Jews were forced to not serve God. And had that revolt not taken place, had, had Jews not been defiant, they would have been gobbled up. It would have gone away. Judaism would have gone away. No Judaism, how would Jesus have ever shown up later? The prophecies were to Jews to expect the Messiah. If they stopped looking for a Messiah, how would it have happened? I don't know. It was a significant deal. Now there's the story of Esther, and Haman wanted to kill all the Jews. That's a story of physical survival. Just for being alive, being a Jew, they would have been put to death. But Hanukkah isn't about that. Hanukkah is about, hey, if you serve God, you got to stop. This is a big statement. All right, with that, let's look at the next verse. John 10. Then came Hanukkah. It actually says Hanukkah. Now, in your translations, it might use the word dedication. Hanukkah means dedication. Um, it literally means it. So then came Hanukkah. It was winter in Jerusalem. Yeshua, Jesus, was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. Then the Judean leaders surrounded him, saying, How long will you hold us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, let, uh, tell us outright. What a great time to ask. But this is, at first blush, this doesn't seem like a big deal. But remember, what does Hanukkah tell us? Hanukkah tells us, watch out for being assimilated. So when these Jewish leaders go up to Jesus and they say, are you the one? They're asking a big question. They're saying, We're, we don't want to be assimilated. What's happening here? Are you the one we've been expecting? And of course he is. He's the one. It's a major discussion. Hanukkah wasn't something that was not on Jesus' radar. It was very much. And to have his discussion saying who he was at the time of Hanukkah was a big deal. We've got to watch out for our environment and be sensitive to this. Go ahead, Dylan. Hebrews 12. Therefore, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of death. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Especially the sin. Do you know, do you know, when I think of assimilation, it's not always sin that, that causes problems in our life. Sometimes there's other things that may slow us down. Other things that uh, can hold us back from what we need to be doing with the Lord. Sometimes it's just life. Just life holds us back. For example, when I think of weights, I think of worry. People will worry themselves right away from what the Lord would want for their life. Worry might not be a sin. What about this? Success. When somebody's really successful at work, 
How does work usually respond? They give you more work. Isn't that true? Doesn't matter what your job is. They say, you know, you're doing very, very well in your job. So let's see how you do if we give you more work. Thanks for doing a good job. We'll give you more. That can pull people away from the Lord. It's not a sin to be successful. In fact, we're supposed to try hard. But it can pull us away from what the Lord would want. It can be a weight in our life. Religion. The legalism of religion. It's not necessarily a sin, but it can sure slow us down if we think we have to do this, and then we have to do this, and then we have to do this. I think, you know, it's really fascinating. I've talked to people. We heard one of the words today. I've talked to people, and they, they, they would say things like, well, I need to do something really great for God. Well, why don't you just start with the things that are really easy? Just pray. Just read the Bible. Hang out with believers. Just do that stuff. If you want to do something great, if you don't tithe, tithe and watch God still provide for your needs. That's a great thing that we can do. There's all kinds of things that we can do. All We have a whole width without worrying about the legalism of religion. Another example is, uh, and this is going to sound like a sin, but I think this doesn't start off like a sin. It starts off like a weight. Selfishness. You know, if we think we really want something or we really need something, or now it makes me happy, I need to do this to make me happy, that's how selfishness starts off. Those can be weights. We, you know, Hanukkah tells us, watch out for being gobbled up by the other things in the world. This is a good thing to remember, don't you think? A very good thing. So we, we know it's hard enough to be alive today. It's not just something today, but even back then in the Bible, they had challenges with cultural, cultural issues. Go ahead, Dylan. So <clears throat> this is... Well, we'll just hit, the, hit this, the list here. And I do want to go through this bit by bit. And I want to look at what they've had challenges with in Scripture because I think there's some very significant uh, relatability for us today. Near the end of his life, Joshua told Israel to choose who they would serve. Okay, here's the deal. Joshua had been in Egypt, right? He had gone through the Exodus. He made it into the promised land. He was only one of two people from Egypt to make it in the promised land. The other was Caleb. That was it. Joshua was one of the two guys to go from Egypt all the way into the promised land and later become the leader of Israel or the leader of that group, the Hebrews. And after all of that, after all of that, he says, choose this day whom you will serve. He can look back after all that time, and he knows that cultural distractions are still impacting the Hebrew people. Choose this day whom you will serve. Watch out for your cultural distractions. And he actually says, for the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So he starts to explain these cultural distractions. This is big! Sometimes we see God move in our life so much, and we see great things happen, and great things happen, and great things happen, but life can still gobble us up. We have to be ready. The next one, immorality was a problem in the believer's community in Corinth. Now I'm looking for different ages here. I'd like to get a sense of our youngest person. Because this is plain nasty. There is a man living with his father's wife, his stepmom. And you understand, what I, when I say living, you know what I'm talking about, right? It was nasty. So this guy's living in this church of Corinth. He's living, and he's part of the community of believers there. I don't know what's worse, the fact that that was happening or the fact that the community believers back in Corinth thought it was, meh, they were in neutral. Well, well. 
I'm not picking on Corinth here. If I knew anybody here that was in a situation like that, I don't want to be eh. Do you want to be eh? Would you be united with me? That's gross. Right? Would you have that conversation with them and say, that's nasty? The, new, the being neutral, being wishy-washy, will gobble us up in a bad culture. It will gobble us up. The Israelites crafted a golden calf. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal. How is this cultural? Could you imagine today, here in Milwaukee, if somebody, if somebody had, uh, if they thought, well, I'm not really into God, I think I'll make a golden calf. That would be odd. Back then, it wasn't odd. Back then, if they wanted to follow the new God, they could just make it. Now in America, we wouldn't make a golden calf. That would be really bizarre. Did you picture somebody at their workbench with some wood, you know? I think I'll make a God. I mean, it just would be, it wouldn't fit here in America. But in America, do you know what we do? We do say things like, well, yeah, yeah, I don't know about God, but I can figure it out myself. I can figure, so we take our mindset from God helping us and walking us through life closer to his plan, and we putting it on, we put it on ourselves. I can figure it out. I can do it. Or, or you know what else we do? We say, I don't really care what they do as long as it doesn't affect me. And from a biblical perspective, we do care about each other. We really do. So I think, truly, this is my opinion now, well, one of our American gods, if not the great American god, is that we think we can do it ourselves. And that creeps into our culture. And I've watched people, I've watched people who have known the Lord, they kind of veer off and they get gobbled up and assimilated into a culture that says you can figure it out yourself. You know, we cannot figure God out ourselves. Thank God for that. If we can figure God out ourselves, he's not much of a God. I mean, he's kind of a pansy God if we can do that. I'm not that smart. You know what I'm talking about? If you say yes, you're not that smart, then... The believer's community in Ephesus was in an area that encouraged fertility in, the, in religion. Okay, there was a god in that area named Diana, and she was a goddess of fertility. I say goddess with small g. Goddess of fertility. And people who were religious, they would, you know, that was the main, the dominant religion in that area. So when believers came to faith, they had to veer away, they had to separate from that understanding. Now, I, I know that's not our challenge here in Milwaukee, but I, I want to tell you something that is a challenge in Milwaukee from an outsider's perspective. And some of you, you didn't grow up in Milwaukee, maybe you can relate to this. When I was a young teenager, we lived in, I lived in Anchorage, and I moved to Milwaukee as a young teenager, and I, had to, I, I saw these things and I didn't understand them. I didn't know what they were. I saw them all over the place. Some people had them in their yards. Some people had them in, in, in uh, decorative gardens. I didn't know what they were. There was these statues, and they're usually around this tall, and sometimes it's a woman, and sometimes it's a man, and they would go like this. I didn't know what it was. I'm not trying to be rude or disrespectful of any of that stuff. I didn't know what it was. I left a place that didn't have them. I came to a place that had them. I didn't know. So I'm here for a while and somebody said, I asked, I said, what's that? Oh, that's, you know, that's Jesus. Oh, oh. Who's the woman? 
I had no idea that it was Mary. Oh, that's Mary. Oh, Mary is mom. Okay. Again, I'm not being disrespectful. I just didn't know. Where I lived didn't have that. And I come here, and they're all over the place. And then I, I remember asking, and I, I did. I asked my dad. He had no idea. And, and he was from Milwaukee. But I asked him this question. Why are they doing this? Bless my lawn, bless my garden. But later I found out, I found out what it meant, you know, blessings, blessings. But I didn't know that. So when, we, when I talk, and we, we talk about the religious component, religion for the sake of religion, that can be confusing. That can have a cultural impact, a negative cultural impact even. You tracking with me? People give their life to the Lord. It takes us time to separate what actually matters from what actually doesn't matter. And some people get gobbled up into it. I had a friend of mine, this is really a tangent, he just decided to, to he liked the traditional, uh, there's a traditional denomination he liked. So he got into it, and he got into it so far that the, his religion became the, the religion of tradition, and he walked away from God. He's very cold spiritually. He does not know God in that way anymore. But yet he goes to church pretty often. But he couldn't tell you anything about his relationship with the Lord. No clue. And he, he, I asked him, where you at a while ago? Oh. So we have to separate. Uh, we have to watch out for our culture. The religious culture created by the Pharisees and Sadducees during the time of Jesus. This is interesting. This speaks to a lot of what I just talked about with the statues. You know, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees talked about they had a lot of legalism. When Jesus shows up, he just really reminded them. Look, if you want to follow God, it's not about legalism. It's about relationship and faith. Even people before Jesus, you know, Jesus is the Messiah, but even people before Jesus, Joshua, for example, and Moses, they had relationship with God. They sought after God. They followed God in a, they had a certain process of following God, but they would seek God. They really sought him. It wasn't about the acts of tradition. And culture can gobble us up in that stuff. Sin had gotten to the point that the people greatly displeased God right before the flood. Now think about this. Adam and Eve knew of God, and then there were some generations that followed. Lots of people that came afterward. And by the time Noah was alive, we know the scriptures say God looked down, and he's like, why did I make these people? Troubles, troubles, troubles. Those are my words. Why did I make them? And I'm going to flood the world. And he saved Noah. Now at one point, they knew of God way back. But as time went on, they kind of got away from it. And the culture, the society and the culture was not good. It wasn't good. You know, we're called, we, we're called to be separate and stand out. But I, I think one of the biggest challenges that believers have is just watching out for the culture. Just watching out for every day, every day. And what goes on in life. You know, we know people that are, go to other churches and people that don't go to church and people that are Republicans, and people that are Democrats, and people that are Jews, and people that are Gentiles. If we, if we don't focus on any of that, if we focus on our own time in God, we're going to be all right. Dylan, let's look at it. Romans 12. I really like this translation. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, your everyday life, these things that we do all the time. You know, sometimes things in life really aren't that spiritual. We just do them. It's not really spiritual to drive here. 
Anybody feel like you did a major spiritual thing this morning when you drove here? For the sake of the audio, nobody has raised their hand. But we do them anyway. And we place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you at, uh, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fix into it or you fit into it without even thinking. And that's the line. We need to be aware. If we wake up every day and we don't think about God, we don't think about a relationship, our culture will gobble us up. We've got too much game for that. We have too much to offer for that. I am sure somebody in this room is thinking, you don't have too much game for that. You think you don't bring very much to the table. I just want to tell you that's entirely, entirely, entirely wrong. You do bring much to the table for God. Each one of us. He loves you. You alone. And he doesn't want culture to gobble us up. All we have to do is be mindful of him every day. I'm really simplifying that, you understand. But that's all we have to do. That's not bad, is it? It's not bad. And for the audio, no hands went up. So praise God for Hanukkah. They did not give in to the cultural pressures of Antiochus. And praise God for us, because we didn't either. Amen? Amen? So please stand up. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for walking us through this very day. God, we, we look for a deeper relationship with you. We look to understand more of you. I pray for everybody here, these folks going through these times in life, the holiday preparations, just life, Lord. I just pray for a fresh touch for them, blessings in their life. Thank you for this fellowship and this great assembly, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.